Chaloma. You're listening to Watered Womanhood, the podcast for women walking in the truth of who Yahuwah, the Most High, says we are, where we uncover what it means to be His bride. I'm Rabbi Shah Aloha Lani, founder of the Hebrew Housewife, a set-apart homemaking blog for the daughters of Israel. I've been studying the Word all my life and ministering to Israelite sisters since 2019 by the grace of Abinawa with original homemaking tips, biblical marital advisory, and truth-based devotionals. Join me in building up the kingdom at Watered Womanhood on Instagram, thehebrewhousewife.com, and right here as we fellowship in spirit and in truth. So today's episode is titled, How to Be Shamefaced and Why It Matters. And this is part of a new segment entitled Etiquette. If you haven't already, go ahead and listen to the first Etiquette episode titled Five Things Excellent Hebrew Women Do. Now, being shamefaced is something that I often get questions about from sisters who are wondering what it means, how to do it. Um, what it's going to look like in different scenarios or in their home, um, how to teach it to their daughters, and why it even matters at all. So I wanted to take the time to share with you what it is to be shamefaced, what the scripture says about it, a couple examples, the chronicle of um, you know, Princess Abigail's shamefaced, so that we can have a better understanding of shamefastness and the value that it brings to our walk and to our fellowship and just to our community as a whole. Now, I do want to preface this by saying that shamefacedness in the Bible is not something that is mandated to women or ordained only to women. Ecclesiasticus chapter 41 also makes it very clear that being shamefaced is a unisex thing. It has no respect to sex or class or race or creed. It is something that we do in fear of the Most High, male or female. Shamefacedness is what the Most High expects of us as his children, but also as his bride, according to Hosea chapter 2, Isaiah 54, and Revelation chapter 21. So let's just get right into it. What is a shame face, right? What is shame fastness? A shame face actually comes from the word shame fast, which is a combination of the word shame and fast, obviously, with shame meaning bashfulness or modesty and fast meaning firmly fixed or firmly secure. So to be shame fast is to be restrained by shame. So what comes to mind when we hear the word shamefaced? What do you think of? I think of a woman who is reserved. Her eyes aren't always raised. She doesn't have to make eye contact with everybody. She doesn't have to share her presence with everybody. She, you know, she, she has some mystique, as I like to call it. She isn't speaking to everyone who's before her. She has a lot of modesty. She's known for her silent grace, you know, because she moves with a lot of grace and she's able to be noticed and acknowledged without having to put on a performance. When I hear the word shamefaced, I think of a woman who is confident and secure and she's comfortable showing up just the way she is because life is more than vanity to her. She brings a lot of honor to her family and her home and her husband because above all, she makes sure that she never disgraces herself or her name and her reputation is one of purity. So let's see what the scripture has to say about being shamefaced. Ecclesiasticus chapter 26 verse 15 says, 
A shame-faced and faithful woman is a double grace, and her continent mind cannot be valued. Now, this verse falls in the midst of Ecclesiasticus chapter 26, which we all know is pertaining to a holy and godly wife and the benefits of having a good wife. And it also expounds upon the consequences of having an evil wife um, and the type of evil that she will bring upon your house. So in context, this shame-faced and faithful woman in verse 15 is the type of wife that we are striving to become you know, an invaluable wife, according to the word. Now, I want you to notice here that it also uses the word continent when it describes this woman's mind, right? When it describes the mind of a shamefast wife. Um, the word continent in this context is kind of related to urinary incontinence or being unable to control one's own body. In this case, she has a continent mind. She exercises self-restraint, especially sexually. She is in control of her emotions, her mind, and her body, and she doesn't let spirits or darknesses influence her behavior. According to the etymology of the word continent, the Latin root is continere, meaning to hold together or to hold back. So this shame-faced woman is considered so because she has restraint, particularly in the face of temptation. She is the opposite of wild, lawless, and haughty. Now, Ecclesiasticus chapter 41 actually has quite a bit to say about being shamefaced, and it even gives us a few verses that contain examples of what it means to be shamefaced in different scenarios. So I'll read just a few, but if you like a little bit more, I highly recommend reading from Sirach chapter 41. And I will start at verse 14 and read into verse 24. My children, keep discipline in peace. For wisdom that is hid, a treasure that is not seen, what profit is in them both? A man that hideth his foolishness is better than a man that hideth his wisdom. Therefore, be shamefaced according to my word, for it is not good to retain all shamefacedness. Neither is it altogether approved in everything. Be ashamed of whoredom before father and mother, and of a lie before a prince and a mighty man, of an offense before a judge and a ruler, of iniquity before a congregation and people, of unjust dealing before thy partner and friend, and of death in regard of the place where thou sojournest, and in regard of the truth of God and his covenant, and to lean with thine elbow upon the meat and of scorning to give and take, and of silence before them that salute thee, and to look upon an harlot, and to turn away thy face from thy kinsmen, or to take away a portion or a gift, or to gaze upon another man's wife, or to be over busy with his maid, or come not near her bed, or of abrading speeches before friends, and after thou hast given, abrade not, or of iterating and speaking again that which thou hast heard, and of revealing of secrets, so shalt thou be truly shamefaced and find favor before all men. This passage tells us what behaviors are shameful, what types of things we should be ashamed of, and what will surely bring shame to our homes. Lies, thievery, whoredom, 
hurting people, ignoring people who salute you. It even talks about putting your elbows on the table at dinner. This is why nothing can convince me that the Bible is not also an etiquette book. It is full of the do's and don'ts in order for us to find the grace and favor that we seek during this lifetime. So let's talk about why shamefacedness is important. Why does it really matter? Well, Verse 24 in the same chapter that we just read tells us, be truly shamefaced and find favor before all men. Before all men. Favor in the original biblical Hebrew translation appears many times with various words to represent it, but it is chiefly translated as chayni, meaning grace and kindness. And it comes from the root chanan, meaning to pity, to show mercy, and to give grace. We care about being shamefaced because the scripture tells us that it is how we find mercy and grace and pity from other human beings, whether they're royals or common, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're an Israelite or not. Shamefacedness, especially as a woman, is where we will capture grace for our lives and um, how we capture it when we need it the most, you know, in our time of need. When I think of a truly shamefaced woman in the scripture, Princess Abigail comes right to the forefront of my mind. Um, see, we see a little bit of her life before she became a princess, you know, right before she married King David in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's a pretty short chronicle of how she actually met King David and became his wife. So basically, she was married to a wicked man named Nabal, who was very wealthy. And when I say wealthy, I mean, he was one of the wealthiest men in the land. He had lots of property, lots of beasts, and lots of servants. And he was a great lord in the land of Carmel. So his servants were shearing his sheep in, in Carmel one day, which was King David's territory. So King David sent a few of his men to Nabal and said, you know, your men have been in my territory and I've been taking really good care of them. I want to know if I found any favor in your sight and if you can requite my grace and mercy and my kindness unto your servants. You know, can you show the same grace and goodness to my servants who were there for your people when you were in my land? And Nabal pretty much just said, why should I care about King David or his servants that I don't even know? Why should I waste my bread, my lamb, my wealth, and my good wine on you just because you did something that I didn't ask you to do? I didn't need you to do it. I don't need your grace. I don't need your favor. I'm not going to share mine with you. <laughs> to hell with you. Be gone. And Nabal's servants heard him talking to the servants of King David like this, and they immediately reported to the lady of the house, which was Abigail. And they told her, look, King David's men showed up by orders of the king, and they wanted grace from your husband because of how good they were to us. And he didn't show it to them, and we are deeply afraid of the consequences. And they were right to tell her that because while they were saying that to her, King David was telling his servants, look, get your swords, load them up, get the chariots. We about to ride on this food. And after hearing this, 
Abigail got her some grapes and raisins. She got some um, <laughs> grain. She got some wine and some other gifts. She loaded up her donkeys and her servants and set forth towards King David before King David would have a chance to come and pillage the place she called home and put her husband to death. So while she was on her journey towards King David, she actually met him near a mountain with all of his strong men and his military. And she immediately got off her donkey and humbled herself before him. She bowed her face to the ground and she begged for mercy. She let him know, you know, my husband is a fool. I pray that the burden will fall on me and not on my home or my servants just because of the folly of my husband. You know, you can do unto me as you wish. I was not aware of your goodness to our servants. And I was also not aware that your servants came for requital for your grace. And I would like you to accept these gifts of atonement and these offerings that I have prepared for you out of the bounty of my own home. And King David basically says, well, blessed be the God of Israel, because had you not come to meet me just now, there would not have been anything of Nabal in existence by tomorrow morning whatsoever, not even a servant to carry his name. All of him would have been completely demolished. And King David told her to go in peace and that he accepted her gifts and that he's going to turn away from his wrath and go back home. So Abigail went home that night just to find her husband drunk having a feast in a really good mood just in a festive nature and she just decided not to tell him anything until the next day when he was sober because she didn't want to spoil his mood but when she told him that she went to make atonement for his folly and that she ended up encountering king david on her journey who was loaded with weapons and soldiers on the way to their home to kill him the scripture says that Nabal's heart died within him and he became paralyzed like a stone, you know, very stiff, and that he stayed like that for 10 days until the Most High struck him and he died. And when King David found out that Nabal had died, he pursued Abigail to be his wife. And this is how she became a princess. Princess Abigail's Chronicle in 1 Samuel is what I share with sisters who may be feeling persecuted by their camp or by their husband or by their job, and they're not sure what to do. They're running out of patience. They feel stuck there. They're being abused. They have a lot of hurt and they're afraid because we truly don't understand the power of favor. We don't understand the power of of grace and being gracious. And we don't understand the power of sticking to what the Most High says we should do and be, even when it's the hardest thing in the world to be silent or to forgive or to have mercy. But just as the Most High is a rewarder of evil, he's also a rewarder of good, which means sin has consequences, but mercy also has consequences, right? And there's a such thing as good consequences. And there is no deed at all that does not have a consequence, good or bad, that does not cause a ripple. This is something that Yahusha also speaks about as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 through 12. Blessed are the meek, because they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they shall be filled. Blessed are the compassionate, because they shall obtain compassion. Blessed are the clean in heart, because they shall see Elohim. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they shall be called sons of Elohim. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because theirs is the reign of the heavens. Blessed are you when they reproach and persecute you, and falsely say every wicked word against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward in the heavens is great, for in this way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yahusha calls us blessed when we exhibit these shame-faced qualities and characteristics, right? When we're humble, when we're desperate for righteousness more than anything else, when we seek peace, when we keep our hands clean, even when others are dirty towards us, when we're persecuted for these things, because the kingdom of heaven is ours, we will have length of days and our days will be fulfilled in peace and safety and wealth. And Yahusha goes on to say, Further along in the same book, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 46, you heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those cursing you, do good to those hating you and pray for those insulting you and persecuting you so that you become sons of your father in the heavens because he makes his son to rise on the wicked and on the good and he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you only love those who love you, what reward have you? Are the tax collectors not doing the same too? Now, modern women say that shame is bad. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should do what we want when we want to do it. And if you try to shame us, you'll be called a bigot, a woman hater, a misogynist, um, or we'll accuse you of being stuck in the past, right? You're just, you're just living in an archaic time that no longer exists, especially when it comes to the Bible and the teachings of Yahusha that, you know, we should turn the other cheek. And if somebody sues us for our outer garment, we should give them the inner garment. Or if somebody challenges us to go one mile, we should go two with them. The world tells us that no, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a nail for a nail. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you disgrace me, I'm going to disgrace you. But that's not what the word says. The word says that we should remain blameless. We should remain stainless. The most High sent his son to remove every spot, blemish, and wrinkle, wrinkle from us. We're not allowing that process to take place if we're allowing what the world is doing or what other people are doing to stain us. And they're not staining us just because they persecute us or bring harm to us or lie on us. They're staining us when we allow those offenses to change our behavior in the way that we respond. The word is very clear. Sirach chapter 26, verse 25 says, a shameless woman shall be counted as a dog, but she that is shamefaced will fear Yahuwah. You know what a dog is. It's a four-legged creature who will lick any other dog's butt. He will lick his own butt. He'll eat almost anything, including his own vomit and other dog's vomit. His fate is in man's hands. He is a beast with no shame. You know what a female dog is called as well, and I don't even have to say that word. A shameless woman finds no favor. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 16 says, A gracious woman gets honor, but she who hates virtue is covered with shame. If we don't embrace shamefacedness, shame will come upon us involuntarily. It is better to be humble than to get humbled. 
always remember that and carry that with you wherever you go. So what are some examples of being shamefaced? Well, speaking only when spoken to in the presence of men who are not your relatives. Refraining from eye contact with men in general and lowering your gaze before authority figures. Being shamefaced can be refraining from gossip or sharing the secrets of others. Being shamefaced means covering your shame, aka your nakedness, and looking away when, sh- when someone else's nakedness is exposed. Only correcting someone in private and not making a show out of humiliating them or not trying to publicly humble or denounce them. Being able to read the room, you know, especially if you're around people of status, elders, officers or military officials or government people like senators, mayors or judges, etc. You know, really being mindful of how you present yourself when you're in their presence. You know, what are you mentioning to them? Are you being provocative to them? Are you trying too hard to get close to them? Are you kissing up to them and being superficial and only acting a certain way so that, you know, you can gain their favor instead of just truly being shamefaced? You know, being shamefaced means not stirring up wrath, not stirring up strife, not stirring up contentions and arguments and fights with other people or instigating when you see other people, you know, who are angry or who are arguing. Staying out of drama, right? The next point, being shamefaced is fleeing folly, walking away from gossip, abandoning reckless friends or people who are involved in criminal activity, you know, steering clear of anything that might bring unfavorable consequences or dishonor to your name, your family, your home, and your husband. Being shamefaced is having chastity, right? Sexual purity and morality. Honoring and valuing sex and sensuality as gifts from Yah instead of abusing them or using them for your own will and for your own purposes, for your own pleasure primarily. Being shamefaced is telling the truth even when it brings you shame, pain, or if it makes you afraid. Not perverting justice or being a respecter of persons, you know, owning up to your mistakes, apologizing with sincerity without saying, I'm sorry, but, and repaying what you owe someone or making atonement for your sins and offenses against them. Being shamefaced means keeping your word, fulfilling your vows, and abiding in the covenants and contractual duties you've agreed to fulfill. Being shamefaced can mean not overeating or being gluttonous, you know, listening to your body, not eating stuff just because it's appetizing, but really truly taking the time to think about the fate of your temple and how your dietary choices impact your health. Being shamefaced can mean taking initiative with doing the right things when they need to be done. This is called integrity. Even when nobody's going to see you do it, even when you're not going to get credit or glory or praise for doing it, you know, like taking out the trash, even when your husband does it or picking up litter that you see on the ground instead of walking by it or protecting an animal instead of watching it be abused or stolen or preyed upon things that you know are good and just and perfect that you don't need the approval of man to do. Not taking back a gift that you gave to someone, right? We don't want to be Indian givers or colonizer givers. Not bragging about what you've done for others and not being greedy. 
Your life should not be led by material gain. And you know, I'm sure you've been in the presence of someone who has exhibited their hunger and their greed and their thirst for money or for clothes or for jewelry or even for attention. They're not pleasant to be around and that ruins their reputation. It makes them extremely untrustworthy. And you know that the moment you turn your back to that person, they're likely gonna stab you in it for something that they want from you. And something else that I see a lot not greeting others who greet you this is so shameful if someone says shalom or shalom or assalamu alaikum and because they're not wearing fringes or they don't have a beard or maybe they're not a modest sister you pretend like you didn't see it and you didn't hear them this is very very ugly this is so disgraceful and it represents the children of israel in such a poor way and it makes us look awful it makes us look like we think we're above everybody and at the end of the day we're chosen <laughs> but the most High is not a respecter of persons he brings the rain down on the just and the unjust alike so please if someone says peace if they say hello if they say good morning just say it in return you will appear more gracious sweet and you will leave a good impression not just for you before your home for your family for your husband and also don't forget you're representing the body of israel and that means you're representing the most high as well another example of being shamefest is handling your hygienic matters in private as a lady this means you're not fixing your lipstick at the dinner table right because it's really not a place for you to do that it's very rude it's inappropriate in we don't do hygiene at the table. Blowing your nose without at least turning your back to others or maybe going into another room or at least saying, excuse me, or, you know, just waiting until you can go into the bathroom, right? Picking your pimples or scratching in private places. Um, discuss discussing very sacred matters, you know, such as your menstruation in the wrong environment or in the presence of the wrong people. These are very shameful things. And if we're shamefaced, we'll refrain from doing these things and we'll do them in private instead, right? So being shamefaced can also mean biting your tongue, keeping those unsavory words to yourself, keeping silent when you don't have anything nice to say or, or if you don't have anything constructive to say or choosing to simply say, you know what, I'd rather not comment or I don't have anything to say about that when you know that what you really want to say may hurt someone or get you in trouble or make you look a way that you don't really want to appear. It is totally okay if someone is asking you about something that you're previously unaware of or something that you really don't want to get involved in or something that you just don't have enough knowledge to speak on to just say, um, I'd rather not discuss that or I don't really have any valuable input for that. It's not going to make you appear obnoxious or ignorant. If anything, you're going to appear very wise because you're now somebody who knows when a conversation is not befitting for you. 
And it is better to keep silent than to be a blabbermouth and expose your own folly. Finally, as wives, shamefacedness can mean regarding your husband's orders and wishes even when he is not around. It means you restrain yourself when you're tempted to disobey him or go astray because you honor him and you respect him and you recognize that you are his wife, right? You're his rib. You're his bride. He paid the price for you. He paid the dowry for you. He makes the sacrifices for you. You're his wife and you don't let anyone else make decisions for his household. It can mean you know, keeping your eyes lowered and your body language open and receptive when he's correcting you or building you up or if he's questioning you. It can mean submission when you'd rather not submit. And it could mean especially not complaining about him behind his back, but instead praying for him where he falls short and choosing to help instead of shame him. And this last bit, it really just applies to all situations. One of the most disgraceful things that you will do as um, a lady and a human being in general is to go to someone's home or go to someone's event or just be in the midst of people, no matter what their status is, and complain. It is so ugly. And it is so disgraceful. We want to make sure that if we have a very unsavory opinion about someone's cooking or the state of someone's home, or if someone doesn't smell very nice, that we're being very discreet. And if our opinion or our feedback is not constructive, or if it just really serves no purpose at all, except to expose just how disgraceful we are, we just want to keep it to ourselves. Of course, this list is inconclusive and there are so many other ways that we can show that we have self-control do you have any more examples of shamefacedness have you ever been in a situation where being humble quiet or restrained has saved you granted you mercy or came in handy at a later time i'd love to hear about it go ahead send me a dm on instagram or an email sharing your experience with obtaining favor or your other examples of shamefacedness for a chance to have your story or your tips featured on the blog and in the next episode. That is all for today's episode of Watered Womanhood. I hope you've been watered. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider making a small contribution towards the sustainability and production of the only biblical femininity podcast for Israelite women. $1, $5, whatever y'all puts on your heart, all donations make a difference. And you can use the link in the description to get started. Be sure to follow, favorite, and leave a review wherever you're listening to make this podcast even more visible to other Israelites. Remember that you can stay up to date and join us for some interesting dialogues at thehebrewhousewife.com. And go ahead and join my newsletter for some members-only perks. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Colossians chapter 3 verse 15. Until next time, Shabbat Shalom.